0: Good morning everyone. My name is Bob Lawrence. I'm one of the Bible class teachers at the Anchorage Church of Christ. It is May the 24th, 2020, and today we start uh, the final book in a series of books that we've been studying this spring, Uh, and today we start the book of Philemon. Uh, In this course of study, we've gone through the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and then today we reach that that shortest book of the New Testament called Philemon. But do not be deceived by the uh, length of this book or the shortness of this book. The book of Philemon is one of the richest, most dense uh, teachings on the gospel that you will read anywhere in the New Testament. And so today, uh, if you would, take a Bible and turn to that letter to Philemon. So the book of Philemon is a very short letter that is written by Paul While he was in prison. Now, can you imagine what that's like? To be confined to one house for months, maybe even longer, and finally coming to the end of that time when you're about to be released and can get out? Can you imagine what that's like? I bet you can. Well, imagine that you had the opportunity to write a letter to someone who was special to you right before you got out of your quarantine. Well, Paul is in a form of quarantine when he writes the book of Philemon. And when we read this letter, because it's a personal letter, we get a very personal look at uh, Paul's relationship with several other people in the region, probably the region in which he was uh, in prison. And we learn a little bit of what it was like to be in one of those early churches. Now, when we read Philemon, we have to... uh, do a little homework in order to learn what it was like to be in the household of Philemon, the person to whom Paul writes this letter. The letter of Philemon was written while while Paul was in prison. Now we don't know exactly which prison he was in. He uh, may have been in prison in Rome. Some scholars say he may have been in prison uh, in Caesarea. In the Book of Acts we know that he was imprisoned in both of those cities for some period of time. Others by looking at clues that we find within the book, think that Paul may have been imprisoned in Ephesus when he wrote this particular letter. And certainly we know that Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, and just like many of the places he went, he caused riots uh, when he presented the gospel in Ephesus, just like in other places. So it's conceivable that he was in Ephesus when he wrote this letter to Philemon. And that makes a little bit of sense, uh, because when Paul comes to the end of this letter, he says... I am about to get out soon, and when I do, I want to come see you. And uh, Philemon likely lived not too far away uh, from the city of Ephesus. Well, it's up to you to choose which prison he was in, and you'll find scholars that will back you up in in any case. What we can say for sure is that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he was about to get out. And before he gets out of prison, he, he picks up his pen, And he writes on parchment a letter that was not to a large church, uh, that was not to a a large group of people at all. Instead, sort of like the letters we saw him write to Timothy and to Titus, uh, we see Paul write a very personal letter. And this time, it's to a man named Philemon. Now, when we read the book of Philemon, it's a little bit like uh, some Bible scholars say. It's like uh, listening to one end of a telephone call. In other words, you only get to hear one side of the conversation. In this case, Paul's side of the conversation. And based on what he says, you sort of have to piece together what's being said on the other end of the line. And what you seem to put together on the other end of the line uh, is fascinating. What we learn about Philemon is that he was likely a wealthy Christian who lived in the city of Colossae. Now, the reason we know that is because in the early Uh, Part of this book, you'll hear Paul refer to Philemon as someone who hosts the church in his house. He likely had a large house or a large house compound, and the church in Colossae likely met there in his house. Now, we think it's the church in Colossae because if you turn over to a letter that Paul wrote to that church in Colossae, which is called Colossians, we see about nine of the same people that are mentioned. Uh, in this book of Philemon are also mentioned in Colossians. And a lot of the same issues are addressed in the uh, in the book of Colossians. I'll show you that in just a minute. But for that reason, we're pretty sure that Philemon lived in Colossae. He was likely a leader of the church there. And, uh, and it's highly likely that the church actually met in his home. And what we learn in this letter of Philemon is that uh, that he, Philemon, uh, was a slave owner. He was one of Uh, The many uh, wealthy people in that period of time who would have, uh, as a part of the local economy, had people that not only worked for him in the same way that employees would today, but people that were actually owned by him. And slavery, just like in many times throughout history, was very prevalent in this early Roman world. And what's interesting is to read in the book of Philemon an example of how Paul addresses this practice of slavery in the first century. And instead of taking it on uh, headway, like many reformers would do, instead, Paul puts a time bomb right in the middle of that culture, which is the same time bomb he puts in every other city, and that is the gospel of Christ. And watch, as we read this letter, what happens to the practice, even an ingrained practice, in a culture where human beings owned other human beings, and in some cases would oppress other human beings. Watch what happens when you drop the gospel into that culture. Well, to understand the letter of Philemon before we read it, I think it's important to understand exactly what was going on in the church there and what they had been taught. And to understand that, it requires us to go to a different book and to to drop into, if just briefly, the book of Colossians, where we learn a little more of what it was like to live in that part of what is now modern-day Turkey. Now, the city of Colossae was quite a number of miles from Ephesus, going back towards the east. It was it was within an area of other cities that Paul had visited on his missionary journeys, and we know that there was a church that had developed there in Colossae. Now, Colossae just sits under a large mound. Uh, it has not been excavated. We're still waiting on archaeologists to be able to dig their way through the different layers and and to learn more about what that city was like. In the 60s, this is the AD 60s, it was destroyed by an earthquake. So we're pretty sure that these letters were written sometime before the 60s, possibly in the 50s, uh, and that would be the 50s AD. And when Paul writes to the Colossians, he says many things. He identifies Christ. Uh, uh, This is the letter where we find out that Christ is the one who is truly sovereign over the entire universe, uh, that he is the one who made the, uh, the entire universe from the beginning. And Paul puts a lot of emphasis on that. But when he gets to the practical part of the letter, he drops his, uh, this time bomb into the culture by showing that everyone in the culture in Christ is brought to the same status. We read about this at the end of Colossians in chapter 3, When Paul, in listing many of the different qualities that Christians would take on and develop, he says to the church there in Colossae, remember, uh, one of these church members would be Philemon. Paul writes to this church and says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator." And so you hear this imagery of what it means to follow Christ. It means to take off an old self and to put on something new, a brand new self. And then he uses a word that we learned about last week, this word anakaino-o, which means to be renewed. And he says we are being renewed, and don't miss this, renewed in the image of our Creator. The idea is uh, here that Paul takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden where mankind first blew it, where we exchanged that image of the Creator that we first had and exchanged that for a lie. And we took on the image of whatever it is that we have decided to worship and devote ourselves to. And Paul takes us all the way back to the beginning and he says God allows us to change. It's a second chance in which we take off this old self put on a brand new self, and be renewed. In other words, taken all the way back to the beginning and remade again into the image of our Creator. And so Paul gives that beautiful image. And then he says, here, in this state in which we've been renewed, here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, this year is 2020, and in the United States, every 10 years, uh, we perform a census and we count as best we can everyone who is a citizen of the United States. Well, do you know that 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 practice goes back to 1790? In 1790, the United States uh, uh, conducted their very first census. And what's interesting to look at on that very first census is how we categorized Americans uh, in that that year, 1790. In that first census of 1790, there were only five categories that a person could be in uh, and identify themselves in in that census. And those five categories were, uh, number one, free white males. Number two, uh, free white males who were under the age of 16. Number three free white females of any age. Number four, all other free persons. And then category number five, slaves. Do you realize in 1790, the U.S. uh, still practiced slavery, and that was one of the main categories included in our U.S. Census? Well, of course, we came to our census, and after uh, a a very tragic war, and, uh, and time went on, We eradicated slavery. This happened in much of the free world, but also, of course, in the United States. And so fast forward to 2020. And do you realize that those five categories of people, instead of getting smaller and even easier, has now blossomed into many different categories? In fact, now on the 2020 census, they ask first about your origin and whether or not the origin is of Hispanic, Latino, or Uh, Spanish origin. And then, after asking about origin, they ask about a person's race. And the race could be white, black or African American, American Indian or Alaska Native, Chinese, Filipino, Asian Indian, Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese, Native Hawaiian, Samoan, Chamorro, uh, or other Asian uh, races, including uh, Pakistani, Cambodian, Hmong, or other Pacific Islanders among those uh, or Tongan and others that could be listed. And so there's any number of uh, races that a person could categorize. Isn't that amazing that now we have a way of differentiating and even sub-differentiating ourselves as human beings? Well imagine for a minute that this was a census not of a country, of a person or of a person's nationality. What if this was a census of the church? And we we put out a census to say, what categories are you allowed to put people in in the church? And that's where you see that Paul, even in this first century, puts a time bomb in the midst of every culture over the entire world. And he says that in the church, in other words, in this body of people who have chosen to follow Christ, if a person is in Christ, as he says in another letter, he is a new creation. And as he says to this a body of people in Colossae. Here, there is uh, no such thing as a Greek or a Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, no Berian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Paul takes all the categories, including the category of slavery, and he says that in Christ, all of those categories are washed away. In a sense, he says all of those categories are, are made equal. And that doesn't mean that he says everyone is lowered to the same level. He does quite the opposite. He says in Christ, all of those categories that we like to put people in, in Christ, are raised to the same level. Everyone who is in Christ is treated as a child of God. Every one of those people, doesn't matter what category they're in, if they are in Christ, they are raised to this level of being remade into the image of God, put in the same category as as the very first human being who was made in God's image. They were remade to look just like Jesus, the Son of God. That's the level that everyone is placed on. Well, what happens in a church or in a community where you put everyone at the same level like that. Well, Paul goes on there in Colossians to explain that this has uh, this has implications for everyone in the church. It has implications for the family and he talks about how it changes the way wives treat their husbands. It changes the way husbands uh, love their wives. It changes the way children are to uh, treat their parents and the way fathers end up uh, taking care of their children. And then... Paul writes again to Colossians, this church that was meeting in the home of Philemon, and he says there, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, the word masters there is the word kurios. It means Lord. And he says to the slaves there, You obey your earthly lords in everything. And now he gives the longest section, that he devotes any a part of this application of the principle of everybody being made equal, uh, he devotes the largest amount of time to slaves. And he says, not only are they to obey their earthly lords and everything, they are to do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, the actual Lord in heaven. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. And so to the slaves, Paul makes this especially uh, a detailed point that if a slave is serving in this world, he or she is to serve their earthly master as if they were working for Christ himself. In other words, they were to view their master as if their master had been raised to this level of being the Lord uh, himself. But now listen to what Paul says to those masters. He says, masters, which again is the term earthly lord, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so you see what Paul does there for the master is he raises the uh, the the uh, the the dignity of those slaves to the level of the Lord Himself in the way he talks to those masters, and, and, and so he puts everyone there on the same level. Well, why does that matter? What's helpful to know is that that letter and those words that Paul wrote to Colossians uh, were written to this church that met in the home of a man named Philemon. Uh, now we think that Philemon's wife was named uh, uh, Apphia. and so it was probably true that Philemon and Apphia hosted, you know, this church. Imagine that in their in their home, and uh, and then together they would have. Uh, read this letter uh, of Colossians, maybe, or heard it read, you know, to their entire congregation. Well, the book of uh, Colossians was actually carried to Colossae uh, by Tychicus. And we read that later in chapter four, when uh, Paul says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And we don't know a lot about Tychicus, but we do know that he traveled with Paul, that he was a servant with Paul, and that here he, uh, he is carrying the letter uh, from Paul to Colossae. But listen to what Paul says next. He makes a special point to say, He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And so Paul makes a special point to bring up this person named Onesimus. And not only does he send Tychicus to carry this letter to Colossae, he sends with him this person named Onesimus, uh, who is called a faithful uh, brother and servant. And, uh, and then Paul makes it a point to say, he is one of you. And so that's how we know that Onesimus probably came from this church in uh, in Colossae. Well, why does that matter? All of that information is helpful now when we read the letter to Philemon, because now you are not just going into a letter with random names and events. When you drop into the letter now, what Paul is writing in this personal way to Philemon, not writing it to the whole church, just writing it to Philemon, to his wife, to their, to their family, uh, uh, In that personal letter, now what he says is going to make so much more sense. And so let's take a moment and just read this book of Philemon. It's a very short book, only 25 verses. And so if you blink, it'll go by too fast. So so take a moment, open your Bible, and, and, and pay attention very closely to the names, events, and the things that Paul addresses with Philemon. So the book begins this way. Philemon. A prisoner, no, that's not how it begins. Stop. (laughs) And so the letter begins this way. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and also now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him with my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that I could take your, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. And that's the book of Philemon. Now, there are a few things to notice in this book, and maybe for the purposes of our class today, these these are the things that I would want to make sure that you catch in reading this letter. First, as we said, notice that the book is written to a Philemon, and now you know a little more about Philemon. It is also written to a woman named Apphia, who we're told is the sister. Some people think that may have actually been Philemon's wife. We don't know who Archippus is, only that he's identified as a fellow soldier. And notice here uh, is where we learn that there was a church that met in Philemon's home, and we believe that was the church in uh, Colossae. And then Paul begins his letter to him, first of all, with a, with a prayer of thanksgiving. And he gives us a hint as to that relationship between Philemon and Paul. Now, we think that Philemon, as a wealthy, probably business uh, person there in the first century, had some, for some reason traveled perhaps to Ephesus. And there in Ephesus heard Paul preach, maybe even been invited into that church where you'll remember Timothy was one of the young ministers. And there in that in that group of people, that might have included at the time Priscilla and Aquila. He might have heard Apollos preach. We don't know exactly when, but at some point Philemon, listening to the gospel under Paul, decided to become a Christian. And he is probably the one who then took the gospel, possibly back to uh, Colossae. So we know that they have this special relationship and you hear that in this prayer when Paul says, when I hear about your faith in the Lord and your love to all the saints, it makes me want to pray. That's, what, that's uh, what brings you to mind for me is when I hear about what you are doing. And then he says that I pray, pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. The word there, sharing, is the word koinonia, that you may uh, uh, be a, a partner in your, uh, in your faith as you share that with the church there. And then he says that your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the heart's of all the saints. So Paul gives us a hint as to that relationship between uh, him and Philemon and his family and perhaps the church. And we learn there that that Philemon had at some point become become a follower of Christ and that to some extent Paul had a a, a role to play in that. And then Paul changes the focus to the real purpose of the letter in which he says that you know in Christ I could order you do something. I could point out something that you already know that you should do but I'm not going to order you instead I'm just going to appeal to you on the basis of that love that you show for all the saints for all the, the holy ones of God and here is his appeal is for his son Onesimus. Do you remember the name Onesimus? That man who accompanied Tychicus to bring the letter to Colossae uh, that's the person we think that Paul's talking about here. And he says, I appeal to you on behalf of Onesimus. Now, you wouldn't know this by just hearing the name, but the, the name Onesimus means useful. And we find out later in the letter that Onesimus was a slave. And it was common in that first century to give uh, nicknames to slaves. And, and one of those names would be, hey, useful, you know, uh, you come with me. And so Onesimus at one time had the reputation for being useful. But he violated that. We don't know exactly what he did. He either stole something from Philemon, perhaps he was a runaway slave or abandoned Philemon somewhere, but he he did some great wrong to Philemon. And Philemon had every reason under the law and under the custom of that culture to uh, arrest Onesimus, to perhaps have him executed, uh, certainly to extract back from him whatever repayment uh, for whatever he had stolen. So Philemon had all of these rights under the law, but Paul appeals to something else, and he says that he would—he asks that um, that he welcome Onesimus back. Now he says this about Onesimus. He says that Onesimus had become his son while he was in chains. This is Paul speaking, and Paul says that there, while he was in prison, Onesimus became his son. This is a term that Paul uses for. Uh, oftentimes younger men who ended up following Christ. uh, Paul took them on almost as adopted children. He uses this term of of Timothy. He uses this term of Titus. And now he uses this term for a runaway slave named Onesimus and says, Onesimus became uh, my son while I was in change, which is our hint that Onesimus, as this runaway slave, also had made his way to Ephesus There. While Paul was in prison, or if he was in prison in Rome, for whatever reason, Onesimus ended up in Rome, or if it was Caesarea, that's where it occurred. We don't know exactly which prison, but whichever prison he was in, Onesimus was in that same community and heard Paul's message and became a follower of Christ there. And then Paul says, Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you. It's a little bit of a play on words. Onesimus means useful, and Paul says, "You know, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now he's sending this letter uh, back to Philemon to say, Onesimus has changed. Onesimus is not the same person that ran away from you. He is not the same one who cheated you. And I am sending him to you, he says in verse 12, who is my very heart. I would have liked to keep him with me. Paul here says, "I, I would like to keep him around. He is now so useful I'd like to have him. When I get out of prison, he's somebody I would like at my right hand uh, so that he can take your place, Philemon, in in helping me. But he says, I will not do that uh, without without your consent. And so again, you hear this uh, respect that Paul shows to Philemon in which he's trying to help a younger brother, Philemon, do the right thing in welcoming a brother back. Paul goes on to say uh, that perhaps... And notice he uses this word, perhaps the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. It's nice that Paul uses that word, uh, perhaps. He's thinking out loud and wondering, maybe, maybe there's a reason that the two of you were separated. And maybe it's bigger than any of us. Perhaps he was separated from you just for a little while so that when you get him back, it is for a much greater good. Because when he comes back to you now, and this is where Paul allows that same little time bomb that he put into Colossae, he lets it just explode into this relationship with uh, Philemon when he says, when Onesimus comes back to you, he comes back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. And that word better is actually the word hyper, huper, which means uh uh uh, you know, much bigger or growing. We use that term hyper to say if a person has energy, you know, they, they're energetic. But if they're hyper, they, you know, they're, they're, they have much more energy. And that same word is used here to say, he'll come back to you not only as a slave, but as a hyper servant, you know, somebody who will be even more useful to you. And, and the very definition of being a hyper servant is as a dear brother. So do you hear can you rewind all the way back to Colossians and hear what Paul was saying when he said slaves if you are a follower of Christ you serve your masters as if they were Christ himself and masters here's the twist you treat your slaves recognizing that you serve a master too and so you treat them exactly as the way exactly the way that God treats his his children and so he's raised everybody to the to the same level And that's what Paul brings Philemon to back in this passage. He then says that Onesimus is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a man and now as a brother in the Lord. So now you have two men, Philemon, who's a master, uh, an employer, an owner of other people who has a slave who ran away, who did him wrong. And on the other side, you have a, a, a man who did another person wrong who stole from him who ran away from him and now both have become Christians and as followers of Christ these two people whose society says should be at totally different levels has every right to seek retaliation or retribution and and Paul says you have you know to these two people he says you you to each of them you have now become followers of Christ so Paul says if you consider me a partner, and here he uses that word koinonia again, he says, if you consider us to have fellowship, Paul talking to Philemon, he says, welcome him, Onesimus, as if he were me. And in that sense, Paul puts himself in the role of Christ. He, he imitates Christ by saying, I want you to treat me, uh, uh, or excuse me, I want you to treat Onesimus as if it, he were me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, Paul says, you charge that to me. You hear how Paul is here at the end of his life, has learned not only to follow Christ, but learn how to imitate Christ. And so Paul says, you charge that to me. He says, I'm writing this for my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention, wink, wink, you owe me your very self. And this is the hint that Paul played a huge role in Philemon actually becoming a follower of Christ and saving his soul. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. And here again, Paul uh, uses a little play on words in which he says to, uh, says to Philemon, I wish that I could have some uh, benefit. And let me find the word. Okay, sorry. I had to go look up a word. So when Paul writes to Philemon and he says, "I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ." There's a little bit of a play on words there. When he says, "I wish that I would have some benefit from you," the word there for benefit is the uh, is the word onaimen, and that word onaimen means. Uh, that you would benefit you know, me in some way. But do you hear in that? That's the oneimene. It sounds a, a little bit like Onesimus. That's where Onesimus got his name, is that he was useful. He was beneficial. And Paul pulls that particular word for benefit out and says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. You treat him now as a brother. Uh, and by doing so, you will be an Onesimus, if you will. You will be a benefit to me. Well, that's the, that's the request that Paul makes to Philemon about accepting Onesimus back. But then he concludes by saying, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And so Paul ends his request by saying, I'm not going to go so far as to tell you what to do with Onesimus. I'm just asking that you accept him back as a brother. In a sense, Paul standing in the middle puts one arm around the uh, former slave Onesimus and he puts the other arm around Philemon and he pulls them to himself and he says, uh, you are now brothers. You are now reconciled and you are now both raised to the the same level. And then he leaves them there and says, I know that you will do even more than what I've asked you to do here, which is to be reconciled with each other. And do you know we think that a lot more did occur because if you'll recall back in that uh, book of Colossians when Paul ends that book and he says, I'm sending Tychicus to carry this letter back to, uh, back to uh, Colossae to you. Uh, I am sending Tychicus with Onesimus. And do you remember what Paul called Onesimus? He said, I am sending Onesimus Who is our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it seems like the book of Colossians was actually written after the letter to Philemon. And so we suspect that what happened after this letter was written is that Philemon not only received the letter from Paul, uh, he ended up uh, accepting Onesimus back. And he not only accepted him back as now a brother not as one of his slaves, but as a brother. But he also went so far as to do something that was very unusual in the first century, and he released Onesimus. He freed him. And so Onesimus then uh, was uh, allowed to then work with Paul and be one of those carriers of these letters to different churches, and specifically this one back to Colossians. It's a beautiful story of reconciliation and even a bigger story of what the gospel of Christ does within cultures, and specifically cultures in the world, that, uh, that continue practices, that exploit people, that harm people, that, uh, that do terrible evil and wrong. And Paul introduces the only thing that can solve those types of world problems, and that is the gospel itself, which takes people who are uh, evil, who are sinful, and, and changes them, allowing them to take off an old self, put on a new self, and in doing so, uh, treat others as if uh, they were Christ himself. And in fact, to, to treat others as if everyone is raised to the same level of being a child of God. And so that's, that's really the essence of the book of Philemon. But there's one other point that I think is helpful. And that is when he ends, uh, Paul ends this with a, a little parenthetical statement when he says, Oh, and, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Remember, Paul was in prison, and he ends his letter by saying, Oh, and by the way, I'm going to get out soon, and when I do, I want to come see you, so make a room for me. And that's the letter to Philemon. Philemon is preserved in our New Testament primarily as an example of what we read in the book of Colossians being played out in the very real life and situation that was going on in Colossae. And so think of the book of Philemon as a living, breathing object lesson of what you actually read in the book of Colossians. Well, here's how to apply it today, and I hope that you'll spend some time today not only rereading the letter to Philemon, but put yourself into that story. And whether you're someone who has wronged someone else or you are the person who has been wronged, Imagine what that is like in our modern world with all its artificial divisions between people. Imagine what that's like for you as a follower of Christ who has put on a new self to see the world through different eyes, to see people the way God wants them to be, to see people as new creations, all of them raised to the same level of being children of God. And then think about what does that mean to treat others around you? not by the divisions that we find in our culture or community or or our country, but rather to see people the way that God does, people who matter to him, people for whom Christ died. And what changes in your life when you begin to see people through that lens that Paul was asking Philemon to look through when he was looking at a former slave and now, instead of seeing a slave, saw a brother. Well, I hope you find that's helpful. May God bless the reading of his word and our attempts this week to put it into practice here in our modern age. God bless you. Have a good week.